Thank you, thank you. Uh, it's great to be with you this morning, Crossroads. Uh, actually, after 40 years and at my age, it's great to be anywhere today, you know. <laughs> with the opportunity of uh, leading the workshop on anger in a couple of weeks and uh, maybe doing some pastoral counseling here uh, at church to kind of work with some folks, I I'm just looking forward to uh, meeting a whole new crew of friends here uh, in the Fremont area. So it's going to be great. I also want to thank uh, Lance and the staff for uh, inviting me to come and talk about transformation and dental health. Um, I've never spoken about dental health before, <laughs> but I thought, hey, this could be fun. Um, I found some cool pictures of some teeth and some oral health stories that will be very entertaining for you. Um, Dwayne, it was dental health you asked me to talk about, right? Is, is death, dental health? Mental health. Oh, mental health. Oh, man. I, I'm going to have to double check my psych meds because I'm starting to hear things wrongly these days. Um, seriously, though, I, I think it would be easier to speak in some ways about dental health than about mental health because there's probably more consensus on what a healthy mouth is than what a healthy mind is. Uh, so obviously this is a huge topic and uh, as one of my old graduate school professors says, we're going to have to be savage in our brevity this morning. But, um, and quite possibly I'm going to raise more questions than I answer. But if you're willing, we'll give it a shot and see where, where we go, okay? I also want to do something really quickly and I just want to acknowledge anybody who's here this morning who has a psychiatric diagnosis or someone who is here who is caring for someone with uh, a psychiatric diagnosis. I want to especially acknowledge the fact that you're here, welcome you here. It'd be easy not to come, but I'm glad you're here and I pray that God has something for you and for all of us today. Before we begin, I'm going to invite you into a moment of silence to remember that we are in the holy presence of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, let me begin this morning by asking the question, does the Bible have anything to say about mental health? In my experience, if you've hung around churches at all, you'll probably maybe have never heard a, a sermon given on the topic of mental health. And I certainly want to applaud Crossroads' leadership uh, for their decision, decision to address this matter since so many of us deal with this in the lives that we actually live. We need safe places where we can speak about this important issue and thankfully this church is one of those safe places. Now surprisingly to some, our book does speak about this very issue in a variety of, uh, of places. And I want to cite two of them very briefly as we begin the service. In, our, in, in the Hebrew Bible's wisdom book of Ecclesiastes, the writer, probably Solomon, states this in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, I set my mind 
to the understanding of madness. And later in the book, he kind of darkly concludes in chapter 9, verse 3, he says, there is madness in the hearts of men while they live. In the writer's pursuit of wisdom, he could not omit the exploration of mental madness and psychopathology from, his, from the scope of his uh, investigation. Now, most interestingly to me is that in the Gospels, it is recorded that there were some who believed that Jesus himself was mentally ill. In John chapter 7, it was said that Jesus was demon-possessed, a first-century rendering of mental illness. And in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, some people claimed that Jesus was a, a, a glutton and a drunk. Now, in modern contemporary language, uh, they would have said that Jesus was dually diagnosed. He had a substance abuse problem and a mental health issue. So yes, there are things in our, our book includes about the human experience of a diseased mind. Now, if you permit me, I want to take a couple of minutes to give you a basic sample template of how we can think about anything biblically. And then when we've done that, uh, I want to plug in our topic this morning of mental illness into that template and see where it takes us. So let me briefly sketch out for you a simple way of approaching how to think about anything biblically. Here's the four-part uh, approach that I suggest. First, I want you to jot down, if you've got your notes, I want you to jot down the word creation. Jot down the word creation. How does God's original design shed light on whatever issue it is that we're thinking about? This may take a little work and maybe require some theological assistance, but I, I want to suggest that when you think biblically, it's always good to begin at the beginning. So, for example, if we were to think biblically, let's say, about the topic of technology, which I notice you have a little bit of that stuff around here, if you wanted to think about technology, you would want to begin your project in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in the story of creation. Now, secondly, I want you to jot down the words, the fall. Jot down the words, the fall. Because in Genesis 3, things go terribly wrong in God's good creation. The created order becomes a good thing badly bent. We now need to ask the question, how did the fall of humans distort God's good intention for homo sapiens on this planet? And again, prepare to roll up your sleeves and, and maybe ask for some help here. Thirdly, I want you to jot down the word redemption. Redemption. Things on this planet radically change, it, change when, when Jesus comes. The Gospels record how Jesus incarnates and teaches about this thing called the kingdom of God. He announces that, <coughs> excuse me, he announces that there is a new world order that is coming into the existing fallen world order, 
And the question, our template now becomes, what difference does Jesus make? How does he address the distortions that resulted from the fall? And lastly, I want you to write down the word glorification. Glorification. Our book tells us that there is a new world coming and that in the age to come, God will reclaim his universe and make things right again. He will make things glorious. The question before us then at this point in our thinking is, well, until that day comes, how can we more and more live in the direction of that new world right now? So there's my simple recommendation for how we can think about anything biblically. So let's plug that into our focus this morning with mental health and see what we come up with. But before we do, uh, I would like for us to watch this little video clip together from a movie called As Good As It Gets. Watch this. Uh, we're sidewalk in New York. Look where they put it. Uh. Hi. Help! If you want to see me, you will not do this. You will make an appointment. Dr. Green, how can you diagnose someone as an obsessive-compulsive disorder and then act as though I had some choice about barging in? There's not going to be a debate. You must leave. You said you could help me. What was that? A tease? I can help you if you take responsibility to keep you regular You changed the room around. Two years ago. I also regrew my beard, but you're not interested in changes in me. So Shh, like I, I don't have this mountain of available time. I have to get to my restaurant on time. Now, do you know how hard it was for me to come here? Yes. No, we're not doing this now. I changed just one pattern, as you always said I should. No. Nope. Oh, I read that. Thank you very much. What if this is as good as it gets? Oh. What if this is as good as it gets? See, the Jack Nicholson character is wrestling with the question of transformation, isn't he? Uh, so the question is, how, what, what can we honestly and accurately say to this question as followers of Jesus? Well, let's plug this into our little approach here, okay? Let's start in creation. In Genesis 1 and 2, uh, the, the, the book, our book tells us that God's original creation had a full, fourfold harmony to it. There was a harmony with God. There was a harmony with ourselves, there was a harmony with others, and there was a harmony with the earth. Human beings were at peace in this primal garden setting. To put it bluntly, there was no mental illness. There were no psychiatrists, no psychotherapists. There were no treatment centers, no insurance carriers, no support groups for families. God's original design was health, 
and wholeness and goodness through and through, but alas, as you and I can attest to, that was paradise lost. And because it was paradise lost, and because we come to Genesis 3, all hell breaks loose out in the fall. We sons of Adam and daughters of Eve were bombarded now with disharmony. We had disharmony with God. We had disharmony with ourselves. We had disharmony with others, and there was disharmony with the earth. Genesis 3 and following is a house of horrors catalog of the spiritual, psychological, sociological, and ecological deterioration that came from the fall. The bulk of the Hebrew Bible is a narrative account of the erosion of our humanity. Mental illness on steroids now becomes a major player in the biblical story. The planet we call home is no longer conducive to mental health. And disease can happen and can afflict everyone, including you and including me. And so we ask, is this as good as it gets? Well, we're learning this morning that we need to ask a third question. And the third question is, in redemption, what difference does Jesus make regarding mental health? Well, I want to suggest that most fundamentally, the sacred man of the Gospels calls people to face reality, to tell the truth. Jesus, in fact, called himself the truth and said that truth would set us free. Denial, which is a flight from reality, is one of the significant causes of mental disorders. Not acknowledging our brokenness makes us sick. And remaining in the delusions and the, the denial of our brokenness makes us sicker. Now, a, dis a, a critical distinction needs to be made here. There's a difference between our brains and our minds. Our brain is an organism in our head. Our minds are the way things get organized, the way we organize our thoughts and our perceptions uh, that are housed in the organism. There are mental disorders that are called organic, meaning they are malfunctions of our brain. These kind of disorders come from chemical imbalances or from traumatic brain injuries and the like. And then there are other kinds of mental disorders that are called non-organic non -organic disorders, and these occur, occur due to our thought patterns and environmental factors. Some diagnoses are long-term and chronic. Other diagnoses are short-term and episodic. And disorders come on a spectrum from the mild to the acute. And I say all of this about mental health because it's complex and it's multi-determined. And so we must be aware and we must beware of simplistic answers. 
So Jesus calls us to, say, to see and say the truth about our brains and our minds. This in and of itself has a mitigating influence. Dare we even say it is transforming at some level to see and say the truth about our, our minds. But because of personal or social stigmas, because of guilt that we feel, or because of sometimes hurtful views of spirituality, uh, it is not uncommon for people to deny that they are depressed, that they're bipolar, that they're anxious, that they're suicidal, that they're obsessive-compulsive, you name it. Now, the truth is that what is mentionable can become more manageable. The truth can transform us. Now, please be careful to note that I'm not saying that the truth cures all mental illness. It just frees us from the toxic denial that gets layered over the top of the disorder. Now, another thing that Jesus would tell us is this. Jesus said, it's not the person who is well that needs the doctor, it's the person who is sick. When mental illness is at play, in addition to calling us to face reality without shame, Jesus would give us a referral to a competent physician or a good people helper. Mental illness often drives us into isolation. Jesus would connect us. Jesus would remind us of the creation truth that it is not good to be alone. And while uh, not all diagnosis can be, can be cured, Jesus would call us to connection so we can be cared for. I once read uh, of a treatment center that had this beautiful sign over its front door and it has such the scent of Jesus to it in my mind. And this is what it said. It said, to cure sometimes. To relieve often. To care always. And that to me has the scent of Jesus about it. So Jesus calls us to face reality. Jesus calls us not to do mental illness alone. And Jesus calls us to seek out competent help. Now, two other quick things that I think Jesus would tell us and would invite us into around mental illness. Number one is he would say, stay the course. Don't put your hand to the plow and turn back. Faith in Christ is not a quick fix. You know, just, ask, just add faith and whammo, I'm healed. God is a God of processes. Creation was a process. Pregnancy is a process. Maturity is a process. Gardening is a process. The metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly is a process. None of these are instant because the God of the Bible loves processes. To say that God is in something only when it's instant or quick is false. A good piece of 
paradoxical recovery wisdom goes like this. Healing will go quicker when you slow down. Healing will go quicker when you slow down. Jesus would say to us, stay the course, steady as you go, stick with your treatment plan and the process that's involved in that. Now, one last thing that I think Jesus would offer to us is that he would offer to us the grace of non-judgment. Jesus touched the untouchables. Jesus loved the unlovables. And as Christian writer Frederick Buechner said, Jesus hung out with whores, stooges, and misfits. God loves people on the margins. God's grace does not lead us to retreat in righteous self-judgment, in self-righteous judgment. Rather, God's grace moves us towards in compassion. Jesus' church is not a country club for the rich and the well-manicured. It's a hospital for the hurting. And while we are not promised complete healing on this side of heaven, we can lovingly, patiently work towards spiritually induced care and substantial healing while we wait. As a midwife waits through the labor pains for the life of that new birth. Don't judge mental illness. Yours or anybody else's. Rather, accept it and look for the grace that God might bring to you in it. Now lastly, we think of mental illness in terms of glorification. The last book of the New Testament tells us that when Jesus makes everything right again, just like in creation, there will once again be no sickness and no sadness. A day is coming when if we ever speak of mental illness again, it will be as we now speak of polio. We live in hope of a world in which Jesus fully reclaims his earth. When war is banished and famine is obsolete and illness, physical or mental, will will merely be a museum display of what historically used to be. But in the meantime, We live in the direction of that coming new world with hope. We strive to bring about more and more of that world in this present world. It is this hope that helps us endure the hardships of bearing mental illness. It is this hope that aids us in maintaining compassion as caregivers for those who are mentally ill in our lives. And it drives our research to find new cures and new reliefs until paradise is once again regained. The topic of this series of messages is on transformation. That is, how do things change from one kind of existence into another kind of existence? It's very clear 
from even a casual reading of the healing ministry of Jesus that he didn't take a one-size-fits-all approach to transformation. His transformative work varied in terms of how long it took, how much involvement did he require of the one being transformed, and what were the ramifications of the transformation in that person's life and in the, the life of the community in which they resided. As we work to be expressions of the healing presence of Jesus in this world and in our spheres of influence, we will be wise to allow transformation to manifest itself situationally appropriate to the particular person we're dealing with, in their particular environment, with their particular possibilities and limitations. We must be cautious of over-promising cures and complete healings that create expectations in people and then become a profound spiritual and mental burden to those who don't experience complete and instant healing. If we are not careful, we can distort the good news of Jesus into bad news. And as Brennan Manning has said, woe to those, woe to those, who make the good news bad news. American playwright Eugene O'Neill wrote this powerful sentence somewhere in his writings. He said, we are, the truth is we are all broken and we live by mending. Now, the, the life of mending is not a cakewalk and it's not a Sunday school picnic. It's an arduous journey that requires the extraordinary strength of God's Spirit. And sometimes on that arduous journey, we may feel like the man in this little story that I'm going to tell you right now. In the days before GPS, there was a man who was on a road trip. And in his travels, he happened to wander out into the countryside onto some unfamiliar, no-name, nondescript roads uh, out in the country, and before long, he was hopelessly lost. Uh, he aimlessly, aimlessly wandered about, trying to reorient himself, and he, he got farther and farther from where he intended to be. And he happened to see an old man uh, off on the roadside, and he went over to the old man, and he stopped him, and, and he asked him for directions to the nearest hotel. The old man looked at him, and he said, I can see you ain't from these here parts, are you, son? And the traveler said, no, sir, I'm not. And the old man thought for a moment. And he realized he couldn't give meaningful directions to this traveler on this maze of unmarked country roads. And so he politely looked at the traveler and he said this. He said, son, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't get there from here. Now, I know that it's very likely that some of you in this room today who are dealing with mental illness in one form or another are hearing these words of mine about transformation and under your breath you're secretly saying, hey, preacher, you can't get there from here. The fears the disruptions, 
the bureaucratic snafus, the social stigmas, the, the emotional drains are too much for me. I am spent. I am barely keeping my head above water. And in fact, I am desperately wondering if this is as good as it gets. If you'll permit me to be perfectly transparent with you this morning, I am neither clever enough, smart enough, nor powerful enough to know what to say to each of you who are here today. I'm not the shell answer man. In fact, on any given day, I'm doing good not to be 5150 myself. But you see, it's not my job to fix everyone here. My job is to point you to Christ. And to his people who can help you navigate the unfamiliar roads that you are on and find a grace for your journey for today. So at this moment, I invite you to turn to Christ as best you know how and participate with me in yet another one of those 10,000 surrenders to the mercy of God that we need to make. Amen. Now, in meeting with the pastoral team this week, several questions came up that they believed uh, might result from this message. And so briefly, briefly, I'm going to respond to three of those questions. The first question was, since this world is not conducive to mental health, what are some ways we can become mentally healthier? Again, quick responses. First of all, I think we can become mentally healthier by maintaining a rigorously honest relationship with God. A relationship that is born out of the actual truth of our inner lives, not merely some abstract theological propositions. God helps where there's truth, the truth of our inner lives. And because God gives help and grace, by faith we can actually affirm that mental illness is sacramental. It's a means of grace because of God. Secondly, I would say, we need to maintain a rigorously honest relationship to ourselves. We must not lie to ourselves. Mental illness, mental health begins with an honest facing of reality. And if we are not okay, if we are sick, we need to say so. And lastly, I would say we can stay mentally healthy by maintaining a rigorous program of self-care. And self-care is not selfishness. Self-care is personal responsibility. Most of us have vehicles that we routinely service. If we don't service them, at some point they'll fail us on the roadways. It's a responsible thing to do. Our minds and bodies are no less in need of routine 
attentive self-care, or they will fail us in the rough and tumble living that we experience in this mad, 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 mad world. Illness begets illness, so let's take care of ourselves. The second question was this. How can we deal with the stigma that is often associated with mental illness? Well, simply I would say we can't change how the world or the culture around us views mental illness. What we can do, however, is to influence it for good by making sure that we address the stigma that we have in us that we place on mental illness. Let's surrender to God any judgments we find in ourselves, of ourselves or of others, and replace it with this central question. What does love require of me in this moment? That's a different question than a question of judgment, isn't it? And then the third question is, what can we say to those who have family members afflicted with mental illness? And I would say this. In reality, words are secondary. What primarily matters is that we hold these caregivers in our hearts. When possible, we appropriately hold these caregivers with compassionate arms and spiritually we hold these people with relentless faithful prayers for God's strength and when we have held these caregivers for a long long time in these three ways then say something and when we speak, we would do well to remind ourselves and to remind others that we are powerless over other people's mental health. Well, in these sacred moments of seeking God together this morning, I want to invite you to join me in closing this service with the following responsive reading. You can follow along on the screen, and where it says, the people, you read that line, okay? God of all mercy, we bless you that broken bodies and broken minds do not intimidate you like they sometimes intimidate us. Lord, have mercy upon us. God, thank you that our mental anguish and the mental anguish of those we love matters to you and moves you with compassion. Lord, have mercy upon us. In kindness, God, Grant today's particular grace and serenity to those who through no fault of their own are afflicted with life-altering mental disorders. Lord, have mercy upon us. With tender mercies, God, bestow today's strength and endurance to those charged with the rigorous and wearying demands of caregiving. Lord, have mercy upon us. And endow to your whole church around the world, O God, with the generous and persevering love of Christ that provides sanctuary to those whose diagnoses have caused them to be outcast and rejected by an ungraceful society. Lord, have mercy upon us. God, we ask these favors of you for our good and for the glory of Christ our Lord, 
Let us now go forth into the world to love and serve you this week. Thanks be to you, O Christ, our Savior, our Healer, and our strength. Amen. And as we leave, I would just say, may the mysterious peace of Christ be with us all. Amen. Thank you.